0: Hey, what's up, City Life family? Um, If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 34. And while you're doing that, I want to thank you guys again for uh, joining us this week online. Let me just first say that I miss y'all deeply. I miss y'all tremendously. Uh, But in order to continue to protect those that we love, we love you and we miss you. uh, We continue to host this time together online. And I pray that this time of worship has been um, still been a blessing to you and and that you and your family are pressing through the lack of bodily presence together with us um, in, in order to worship with us online. So I pray that this is still serving as a blessing, even as we await the day that we can Come back together and 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 rejoice together and worship together. Um, but but while you are uh, turning to Matthew chapter six uh, verse nineteen, I just want to um, talk a little bit about again the times that we're in. I'm reminded more and more each day of how life is changing um, with the arrival of this virus around us. Uh, more more than ever, you see people taking precautions with. With masks and with gloves in the grocery store, you see um, the numbers in our nation and even in our state continue to climb. Just this past week, literally just a few days ago, we discovered the uh, that Warren County had their first official COVID-19 case. And so in the midst of all that, there is a tendency for us. Uh, to begin to to begin to experience unhealthy amounts of anxiety. We begin to see fear and anxiety and anxiousness begin to creep in. And, and that anxiety, that anxiousness, that fear begins to consume our lives, begins to consume our hearts, begins to consume our joy, our hope, and our comfort. And so, and so what I want to do right now this morning is I want to encourage you from God's word not to live in fear. That's my, that's my assignment this morning. We are his children. He will take care of us as as our uh, worship team so beautifully uh, belted out this morning. We are no longer slaves to fear, for we are children of God. And so by now, you've reached uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 34. Um, What I want to do is I want to just start with uh, verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The first observation this morning is that earthly treasures are fleeting. Earthly treasures are fleeting. There is nothing non-perishable about riches on earth. They are all susceptible to expiration. You know, my father, when I was growing up, used to always tell me that he's never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. In other words, earthly riches are not transferable. Um, We can't take them with us. And there are a number of reasons for that, but but Jesus highlights in this text two particular reasons. One is that earthly treasures are fleeting because they are destroyed by nature. Earthly treasures are fleeting because they are destroyed by nature. Verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Rusting is a chemical reaction that takes place when iron and oxygen come into contact with moisture over an extended period of time. Some of the strongest and most well-built machines and structures in the history of mankind have fallen to the natural process of rusting. Some of the most expensive garments in all of the world have been destroyed by tiny little insects that we call moths that love to nibble on threads bit by bit by bit. Nature destroys earthly treasures. But these aren't the only natural folds that we are faced with when we think about uh, the, the, the threat of earthly treasures being destroyed. For example, floods. Last year in our own community in Warren County, there was tremendous amounts of property that was lost due to great floods that we experienced. And to this day, there is many people that are still recovering from those floods. Rains. In just the last few months, we saw tremendous amounts of downpours and, and rains that, 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 that caused even, even Candy and I our own share of grief uh, in the form of property damage. And, and we, we are almost certain to have to pay an expensive penny to see some of those uh, repairs done on heels that have, have slid as a result of those heavy rains. And then, of course, there's the obvious the coronavirus. And just this last month, the stock market has tumbled downward. It's taken a significant nosedive. And as a result, it's affected many of our 401ks and many of our TSPs, retirement funds, all those things that we have. We've taken money and we've set aside for a rainy day. And all of a sudden, we see the coronavirus come in and begin to impact those things. Some of us, even in the last couple of weeks have probably seen our jobs impacted significantly. Some of you that are watching this morning may have lost your job as a result of this pandemic sweeping through our country and our world. Some of you are in fear of losing your job. Some of your hours have been greatly cut and reduced as a result of this virus. You see, this virus has come to all of our homes in many different ways, and it's pulled back the covers on just how fragile our lives really are. Just how fragile our finances really are. Just how fragile our possessions really are. Which is why we hear Jesus' words, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. But nature isn't all we have to consider when we think about where treasures are being laid and how treasures are being threatened. For Jesus also says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in. And still, earthly treasures is not only threatened by nature, it is threatened by people. Of course, we see in here in this text about robbers that break into your homes, guns blazing, and they take what you've earned. But the Bible also warns of the ways that the powerful and influential can exploit others and in their own way rob us. In other words, earthly treasures are not only susceptible to, to blue-collar, uh, strong-arm robbery type of theft, but they're also susceptible to white-collar type of theft. Coronavirus, as its own force of nature, has taken earthly treasures from many in the world over the last several months, but it, is also, it also rather, has given us the chance to see the worst of people. In their attempts to use this moment as an opportunity to exploit and rob other people. Reports have already come to the surface of people selling $20 bottles of hand sanitizer. And and, and, and one ambitious seller in the Midwest has completely lost his mind and gone all the way crazy and bought 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer in order to corner the market in his city and inflate the prices. In the middle of an epidemic, in the middle of a pandemic, one Christian African-American poet by the name of Sho Baraka, okay, he's a Christian rap artist, but that's besides the point. He captures this blue collar and this white collar theft in these words. When I'm at work, I watch my pockets for them corporate thugs, but when I'm at home, I watch my back for those Crips and Bloods. You see, earthly treasures are destroyed by all types of people, some wearing suits, And some wearing bandanas. So what is the solution? Well, we'll come back to the solution in just a second. But for now, let's skip down to verse 22, where we find that not only are our earthly treasures fleeting, but they can be deeply and darkly distracting. Verse 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In the middle of this passage is this very strange phrasing about the eye being good and full of light versus bad and full of darkness and what does that even mean in some older translations the language for the eye is not healthy but single and in other translations it's not single or healthy or good but perfect in other words When the eye is healthy, when the eye is good, when the eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. However, if the eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Again, we must ask, what does all of this actually mean? Well, the the bad eye is is the duplicitous eye. It is the distracted eye, the greedy eye, the covetous eye, the selfish eye, the hoarding eye. It is the eye that is partially blinded by too many objects of focus. That eye is a recipe for darkness. An eye whose vision is distracted by all of these promises here in this world of comfort and security and fulfillment and wealth is an eye that will fill the whole life of its owner with darkness. But the healthy eye, the good eye, is the single eye. It's an eye that's Fixed on the highest good, Christ, and his purposes and his will for the life of its owner. Because it is singularly focused on that one hope, it is less concerned about earthly treasures. It is more open to generosity. It is less prone to panic. Earthly treasures have the potential to obstruct the vision of our souls, leaving our whole lives fixed on fleeting things and filling our whole lives with great darkness as a result of it. But the good eye, the soul's vision that is fixed on Christ, fills the whole body with the light, joy, love, peace, and hope of Christ. Think of the eye of your own soul this morning. What is your soul gazing on? What is your soul's gaze fixed on? What would you say that is? And why would you say that it is? Is it Christ? Is it other things? Has it led to duplicity? Has it led to distraction? Has it led to trying to focus on several things as the most important things rather than the one true thing that is worth our focus? And has all of that distraction and obstruction of our soul's vision led to darkness in our soul? Earlier this week, I read articles that were written by Christian writers that were trying to pit the health of our elders against the health of the economy, saying we can't have both. We've got to sacrifice one for the other. What has the duplicity of our vision led to in our souls. If the eye is duplicitous, unfocused, if the eye is evil, it lets darkness in. And how great is that darkness, Jesus says. Oftentimes when we describe the merits of abortion, we describe it in terms of opportunities. The birth of a child blocks us from certain opportunities while the abortion of that child frees us to take advantage of certain opportunities. There was one actress in particular recently who was, awarded with the coveted Golden Globe for best performance. And in her acceptance speech, she took time to celebrate her decision to abort her child. Because in so many words, she said that had that, not, had that decision not been made, she would have been blocked from so many opportunities. If the eye is duplicitous, unfocused, it lets darkness in. And how great is that darkness? Pastor A.R. Bernard describes it in this way. He says, talking about structural evil and how structural evil, when our eye is unfocused, the eye of our soul is unfocused, how it invites darkness in a structural way. He says this, every structural evil begins as a desire to do good. And when I say good, I mean favorable and beneficial. How many of you know that in some people's mind, slavery was good because it had a financial benefit? It was economically favorable because slavery is an economic system. So, in the minds of those who instituted it, it was good, but it is structural evil. So, it can seem favorable, it can seem good, and we can establish it and institutionalize it, but essentially, it is evil. Something can be economically good, but result in evil. If the eye is duplicitous, unfocused, evil. It lets darkness in, and how great is that darkness? Earthly treasures are dark distractors. They snatch our focus, and they put our focus on lesser things. And the greater our focus becomes, or the greater our focus is fixed on those lesser things, the greater darkness we invite into our souls. One more observation, and then I'm going to get to the solution. We have to reconsider earthly treasures from the position, uh, from the from the pr- uh, perspective that they are fleeting. We have to consider earthly treasures from the perspective that they are dark distractors. But we also have to consider earthly treasures from the perspective that they simply are bad masters. Verse twenty four says, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or love, or I'm sorry, he will for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other." You cannot serve God and money. Earthly treasures carry the power to own us if we let them. It is often the case that the very thing in which we seek mastery over ends up mastering us if we are not careful and watchful. Sometimes I get a chance to watch YouTube or some interesting show on television where there is a trainer of a type or trainer of an alligator. He's doing all sorts of neat tricks with the alligator. Maybe he has the alligator open his head, open his mouth, and he puts his head in and takes his head out. Well, every once in a while you watch these shows and the trainer puts his arm in and it doesn't come back out because the alligator snatches down or the tiger takes a bite, decides he's a little hungrier than the trainer thought he was that day. Because see, there are certain things that you think you can master. But if you're not careful, you'll lose an arm. Money is very much like that. See, there is oftentimes when we think we have mastery over these things. Our American westernized appetites have oftentimes worked tirelessly to make Two masters exist peacefully with one another. We try our best to, to, to crown money with righteousness and to make it a righteous master or to or to or to dignify it or sanctify it to make it holy in a certain way. We try to we try to, for example, the prosperity gospel is our attempt to, to try to sanctify money. But folks, these masters are diametrically opposed to one another. Jesus says explicitly that you cannot serve God and money. They are moving in completely opposite directions. Allowing money to master us leads us or leads to us making decisions without the kingdom's interests in mind, but rather with the intent in mind to just simply keep our money. Allowing money to master us leads to us making decisions, not for the kingdom's sake, but to make more money. The allegiance to one requires a denouncing of the other. And guess which one is the poorest master and should be denounced? You guessed it. Money. Money. Money is not meant to satisfy you. It's not meant to complete you. It's not meant to make you whole. It's a tool, and we have to wield it like a tool. And when we allow it to master us, it leaves us damaged, and it leaves us empty, and it leaves us anxious. Earthly treasures leave us empty, leave us anxious, leave us damaged if we try to make them master, just like all idols do. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah speaks the words of the Lord, and he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. These are idols. Idols cannot hold the waters of our satisfaction, the waters of our joy. Earthly treasures make for bad masters. Now, as we turn to the latter half of this passage, beginning in verse 25, I want to make sure that we notice that one of the most important words in this entire text is the first word in verse 25, and that is this word, therefore. Therefore is the connector of verses 19 through 24 to verses 25 through 34. The word is a very important literary tool because it carries the ability to give reasons to our actions. See, the actions in verses 25 through 34 are about worry, anxiety, anxiousness, and they are fitting for the times that we are living in. Verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Verse 31, skipping down, it says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? Seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, Jesus says. Don't worry about what you're going to drink, Jesus says. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, he says. Or Don't worry about whether or not you're going to find hand sanitizer. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to find those bottled waters. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to even be diagnosed with coronavirus. Well, let me caveat before we get too deep into all of this and everybody's like, well, Pastor, you you speak for yourself on that, but let me caveat, let me just say this. The presence of preparation is not the same as the presence of worry. In other words, just because I go and I look for hand sanitizer doesn't necessarily mean that I'm no longer trusting God. The absence of worry does not require the forfeiting of wisdom. Jesus says, don't be worried about what you're going to eat. But it doesn't mean that he is encouraging you not to go to the store and to pick up items and to cook, in other words. However, this worry that Jesus is describing is the sort of posture that consumes us. It's the kind of worry that leaves us living our lives for money rather than God. It's the kind of worry that darkens our ability to discern right and wrong or right from wrong. It's the kind of worry that causes us to force God to the bottom of our priority list rather than at the center where all of our other priorities are set around. Jesus is connecting Or Jesus is calling us away from this worry, and he's connecting his call not to worry with his commands in verses 19 through 24. In other words, the handling of worry, the handling of anxiety rightly, is most often tied to how we view earthly treasures. If we decide to handle, or if we desire to handle anxiety rightly, we must Handle earthly treasures rightly. Let me draw this out further. What I'm saying is that nobody serves money for money's sake. Nobody throws all of their attention and their time and their effort at money simply for money's sake. Nobody thinks suicidal thoughts when losing money just for money's sake. And no one makes arguments for letting people suffer and die in order to preserve money just for money's sake. And yet all of this is happening right now around us. And all of this has been happening around us for as long as we can remember, even long before coronavirus. So if, if we aren't doing these things for money's sake, then why are we doing them? We're doing them for comfort and security's sake. You see, money is often seen as the ultimate source of comfort and security. And nowhere is that more the case than in the United States of America. Money gives us a sense of safety. It gives us a sense of ease. It gives us a sense of being shielded from suffering. It gives us us a sense of being Kept. You see, oftentimes I believe that if I have money in my pocket, then I'm going to be okay. And when I don't have it, I tend to think that I'm not going to be okay. The amount of peace I have concerning whether or not my life will actually be okay becomes directly tied to how much money I actually possess. But here's the odd and crazy thing, even about that type of thinking as it relates to money, The typical effect, the odd effect in most of our lives is that the more of it we have, the more of it we need to feel safe and secure. The more of it we have, the more of it we need to feel that comfort. In other words, what ends up happening in the typical person's life is that a person with a household income of 25K can't no longer imagine living with 15K. And the person with a typical household income of 50K can no longer imagine living life with only 30K. And the person with a typical household income of 150K can no longer imagine living life with just 50K. And the person with 1.5 million as their household income can definitely, for sure, no longer imagine living life with just 150,000. And on and on and on it goes. You see, we pursue it for comfort. We pursue it for security. We pursue it for covering. And yet the more of it we have, the more insecure, uncomfortable, and uncovered we actually feel with it. J.D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men to ever live. At the peak of his wealth, he had a net worth of about 1% of the entire U.S. economy. He owned about 90%. Of the, of, of, of the oil and the gas in the country and in the world, when he was asked how much money is enough money, he responded, just a little bit more. Jesus is dealing with money because he is dealing with the very core of what of what gives many of us peace and what gives many of us security and what gives many of us safety what gives many of us identity and he is saying that's where i am supposed to be right there our tendency to worry becomes a heart problem tied directly to our money and to earthly treasures because it comes as a result of us inwardly believing that our money is a better provider of safety and security than our Savior is. These are the reasons you hear these commands in the verses that precede verse 25. Don't let money own you. Don't live for earthly treasures that are fleeting. Don't allow your eye or your focus to be fixed solely on earthly provisions. Each command is a heart call to turn away from our tendency to believe that our comfort and security rest in the abundance of what we have here on earth. That's a lie. It does not rest in what we have in this earth. It rests in the creator and sustainer of this earth. Look at verse 32 with me. It says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is uncomfortably clear here for us. What he's saying is that the Christian who lives in the kind of anxiety that says there is no hope unless I compromise God's standards of righteousness... The Christian who lives in the kind of anxiety that says, I must forsake God and serve money and make, and, and make money in order to be safe and secure. The Christian who lives for, for, for in, in the kind of anxiety in the now that can't live without the treasures of this earth. That Christian lives as if he has no God. He lives like the Gentile. In making the connection to the Gentiles, what Jesus is doing is saying that that person lives as if they have no real God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How are you approaching life right now in this very moment in light of this pandemic, sweeping our world through our world? As you look around this nation even, and as you see these viral numbers skyrocketing, what are you saying to yourself? Where is your hope rooted right now? Let me close by giving you two anthems that you should be singing. The first anthem is in verse 20 through 21, chapter six. It says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do we deal with the reality of a pandemic that threatens to take our sense of security and our sense of safety? By making sure we redirect our sense of safety and security to a more sure foundation. How do you deal with it? By making sure that you are not allowing your sense of security and safety to rest in fleeting things, but to place your sense of security and safety in the hands of God, in the hands of Jesus Christ, where it belongs, to lay treasures in heaven, to work unto the kingdom, to live unto the kingdom. By moving from living for this life to living for the next life, by moving from serving money in hopes of finding safety and security to serving Christ with the promise of eternal safety and eternal security. But the second anthem is just as important. The second anthem is found in verse 33 of chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, let me me share something very important to you. Notice that Jesus' answer to the reality of earthly comfort and security being threatened, moth and rust, thieves breaking in and stealing, moth and rust destroying. Notice that his answer to the reality of earthly comfort and security being threatened by people in nature is not to promise that it will never be stripped from us. It's not to offer a promise of wealth and it's not to offer a promise of a life free of pain and a life free of discomfort. Jesus's answer to the reality of earthly treasures being threatened is to exchange them for lasting heavenly treasures. Instead, he says, to get your eyes off the earthly treasures and to fix your gaze on heavenly treasures. Instead, he says, to get your eyes off of the kingdom of this world and to fix your attention on the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. When we seek the kingdom of God, there's two things at least that happen. One, our focus for provision changes. See, when we seek the kingdom of God, we discover that we don't need the assurance of money in this life. We don't need the assurance of health in this life for safety and for security. All we ultimately need is Jesus. When we seek the kingdom, we look to Jesus for safety and security, not just for this life, but for eternal life. You know, this pandemic is easily one of the biggest events that has happened in my natural lifetime, and I'm sure in yours. And I don't want to minimize what's going on with this pandemic. A lot of people have died, and many more may die. And none of us are exempt from its impacts. It could impact our families. It could impact our communities and our churches. And it most certainly is going to impact our state and our nation further. But even though this is one of the the biggest events in my life, and even though it's one of the most impactful events in my life, it is not the biggest threat to my life because it poses no threat to my eternal life. Coronavirus can't destroy my soul. Sin can. But because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus lived the perfect life that I could not live, because Jesus died the death that I deserved, and because Jesus rose from the grave, proving that he had all power in his hand and power to save and resurrect me. Because Jesus pay the cost for my sin. The biggest threat to my life has been vanquished. My greatest fear, the destruction of my soul for eternity, has been erased. So if our God is capable of conquering uh, uh, our eternal threat, then we can take confidence that this temporal threat is not outside of his reach. But something else happens when we seek the kingdom. We receive the assurance that God will provide. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are these things? The things mentioned in verses 25 through 33, the things that we need, clothing, food, drink, water our needs. In the midst of this pandemic, all kinds of worries begin to creep in our minds. What are we going to eat? Jesus says, seek me and I'll feed you. What are we going to drink? He says, seek me and I'll give you drink. Where are we going to get our supplies from? He says, seek me and I will get you everything you need. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that we are to Keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. For God has said, Jesus has said to us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It continues and it says, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. Listen, I will not fear what can man or coronavirus do to me. Seek ye first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Jesus will provide in this life and in the next. If nothing else has happened during this pandemic, here's the one thing I pray has happened and is happening for each and every single one of you watching. And it is this. You are seeking him more. The kingdom of God means the rule and reign of God. And I pray that if nothing else has happened for you during this pandemic, the one thing that has happened is that you are seeking his rule and his reign for your life. I pray that you are seeking for him to be the center of everything, to be at the center of your decision making, to be at the center of your wallet, to be at the center of your calendar, to be at the center of your ambitions, and yes, to be at the center of your sense of safety and your sense of security, your sense of rest, your sense of joy, your sense of peace, and your sense of hope. Because, family, there is nothing else that was meant to be that for you but him. So seek him. Seek him, and he will be found. Let's pray. God, we love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor. We ask and we pray, Lord God, that as we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, that you will provide, Lord God, all that we need. Help us, Lord God, not look to lay our treasures here and not look to lay our security here and our safety here and our comfort here, our hope here, our joy here, our rest here, our satisfaction here. But help us, Lord God, look to you And lay it all on you, Lord God. Father, may we find hope in you, rest in you, peace in you, peace in you, safety in you, security in you. So that no matter what happens in the midst of this pandemic, our anchors, Lord God, will be set and will be sure, Lord God. We'll be strong and will be steadfast because they are anchored in you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love y'all. See y'all soon.